0: I should not be depending on other people to give me jobs. I should create my own. I'm Kelly Hoey, host of Broad Mike.
1: I speak with the most accomplished entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders about the issues that matter in building a business. You will get the inspiration as well as the picks and shovels you need to become a better entrepreneur. Be inspired, take action, think broad. Today in the Broad Mike studio, I have Yuli Ziv. She is the founder and CEO of Style Coalition, a first-to-market platform helping brands connect with top online lifestyle influencers. Today, Yuli and I talk about Style Coalition, being a solo founder, bootstrapping, and how you know you have a product-market fit when you are first-to-market. Welcome, Yuli. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and share my story. I'm looking forward to it. So let's, before we start talking about um, Style Coalition, let's talk about what got you into entrepreneurship. Was there a childhood project, uh, something that happened that influenced your decision to become an entrepreneur?
0: I wish. Um, I think, honestly, what influenced me most probably is being an immigrant, and I did it twice. Um, I moved um, a country from Russia to Israel when I was 15, and then I came to New York City by myself at the age of 27. And it really pushes you um, to go outside your comfort zone and being very adaptable to a new environment, which I think is extremely important in entrepreneurship. You take a, such a big risk moving to a new country and basically starting from scratch, and um, And doing it twice definitely taught me some important lessons um, and and made me used to the unexpected that comes with the entrepreneurial life. Also, you know, uh, watching my parents um, struggle um, to find a job at 45 when we moved to a new country, it really kind of taught me a lesson that you have to build your own success. You're never dependent on other people. And it was really kind of like a shock for me, you know, when my mother at 45 had to um, go clean people's houses because she couldn't find another job. And it really um, kind of like uh, implanted in my memory that I should not be depending on other people to give me jobs. I should create my own um, and I think that was an important lesson for me um you know, right out of college i got into i got a job at one of the biggest um back then israeli startups, and I got exposed to that startup culture that was very opportunistic. People were becoming millionaires overnight, everyone was dreaming big, and I just got the bug.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, what was it that when you know your first entrepreneurial venture, but was it when you were in Israel, was it working for a startup that really yes. got you enthusiastic about the community and the ecosystem?
0: Yes, definitely. And in Israel, you know, they have an amazing startup ecosystem. Basically, they joke about it that everyone is building something. (laughs) Everyone is working on a startup. It's just part of the culture. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, it it definitely kind of, like, opened my mind to this whole, even though I was an employee, but being exposed to those people, and, and it was just so inspiring.
1: Amazing. Amazing. So let's talk about the origin of Style Coalition. What's the story there? What was that aha moment where you said, there's an opportunity and I'm
0: going to pursue it? I wish it was one moment, but it was probably over years. Um, You know, um, Style Coalition is actually my second startup. and my first startup was in that online publishing media space. Um, I, I managed to build a medium-sized um, uh, a website that had decent traffic. And, you know, and we had a challenge to monetize our uh, property and find brands and advertisers to work with us. Um, and, you know, back then, it was probably uh, 2006, six, seven. I got accepted to cover New York Fashion Week as uh, one of the first kind of digital um, journalists to cover... Um, or, or bloggers to cover Fashion Week. And um, I, and I met a lot of other fashion bloggers out there that um, maybe five of 10 of us that uh, we met and we started talking and, and everyone had the same challenges. We all had decent audience, but um, none of us were making money from our blog. And this is kind of like was my aha moment when I realized that, um, you know, if we come together as a group of medium-sized bloggers, we could actually have a better chance with bigger advertisers because together we'll offer more scale. And it was a moment, basically, Style collision as an idea was born, but it took about two more years until I could actually turn this idea into real business. Uh, Because to me, (laughs) until it brings... Um, revenue in it really not a business. There's people with, with many beautiful ideas, but if um, to me, if someone is not willing to pay for that idea, it's just an idea. So um, it's, it's a nice it's a nice
1: hobby or just an <laughs> exactly, idea until you exactly. can turn it. So how did you how did you bootstrap it for those two years?
0: Oh God, um, I had to put everything on a table to make it work. Basically, um, you know, and it was it, it was tough. Um, I. Almost, It took almost two years without revenue to kind of like to last and, and use every um last bit of savings. And I remember a moment um, because it was a really slow response from brands back in the day is um, the whole idea of working with influencers or bloggers and paying for it. it was really it, it did not exist. There was no market. And I remember like it was yesterday, that moment, 2010. Um, I had to make a decision all I had left was my 401k from my last job and I had to either take that money and that would last me a few more months and and just push and go for it or go and look for a job <laughs> basically go back to a job market and at that point the thought of looking or uh, searching for a job terrified me so much. <laughs> that I think I just made it work. I just started hustling and and I realized I I need to bring the money in and I need to last until the market is ready. And it was probably, it was the scariest decision to make because it was really the last piece of money, personal money I had. But it was probably the best decision because it really would um, build, uh, would allow me to build this company. Um, And it just Taught me kind of like that that lesson of you know believing yourself and taking those risks. Those risks that um, really when you depend on yourself.
1: I say it just seems so many things I'm grinning about right now, and that that investing in yourself, but also how ludicrous it seems in 2016 to think that brands wouldn't want to use influencers. But we're talking 2010. I mean that's a lifetime ago in in the world and age of the internet. As first to market, how did you know you had product market fit?
0: Um, I think early in your venture, you're always looking for those positive signs, right? Some sort of approval that you're not completely insane. <laughs> and I was knocking on a lot of doors and, and getting the no. But, um you know, along the way, there was there was few signs and few things that happened that kind of like uh, indicated to me that there is an opportunity. In 2010, when I was at that moment, when I was debating, <laughs> should I continue pursuing or not? um I sold a campaign to JCPenney. And it was a miracle back then. I still call them, in my mind, they're my unofficial angel investor. <laughs> because that money, first of all, it was a validation and from a big brand. And and second of all, it really allowed me to last just a little longer. Um, and, was, and I'll have to say, a paying customer is the best <laughs> investor. So, yes. Exactly. Thank you, JCPenney. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. And also, I knew if JCPenney bought into this idea, there will be others. Right. Um Because they're a big brand. They know what they're doing. So it kind of like indicated to me there is something there. There was another moment later that year that I pitched a partnership to Elle magazine. And I was able to convince them to partner up with um, our group of bloggers and and um, create a network together, which was also first to market because up until then a magazine never partner up with a blogger network. So it was also first. But they um, loved the idea doing something innovative, and you know we managed to put the. The business to figure out the business terms, which is always important in partnership, and those two things just show to me: okay, I'm not completely insane. <laughs> there is a real opportunity there.
1: I haven't just come up with some crazy idea exactly. that no one's going to pay for. This is a crazy, fabulous idea, <laughs> and people are going to pay for it. Um, that is, you know, absolutely fantastic. Were there any early pivots? Um, or has the business evolved from what you had originally envisioned when you were at New York Fashion Week talking to other bloggers?
0: Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> it, involved, it, it, it still evolve, is evolving, actually. And this is one of the things I learned. Um you know, when we started, it was really um, uh, the, the business model. Everything was was so different. There was not technology underlying. And then, you know, we built technology because we realized that we really needed to be able to continue to sell to those big brands and increase our budget. There had to be some sort of like measurement platform. Back then, it was just like um, uh, more of a, I would say, like a manual or service business. And, you know, on that note, it's, it's very interesting because back in the days, I was really, uh, because I was talking. So much to VCs because I was trying to raise money. I was really ashamed of the term service business because it was kind of a dirty word in a, in a VC lexicon. It's, it's like it's like
1: soft skills, yeah, you know, it's, service, it's, it's soft like, skills, words we can't say. Ooh, no, yeah. no,
0: it, exactly. Like no one will take a meeting with me if I said it's a service business, right? So you try to come up with all this platform and this and that. And you know what? then I realize. It is a service business, and we do great service to our clients. Yes, technology is part of it. Um, the network is part of it. But I really think, um, you know, the core of the business, and it probably always has been, even though I didn't admit it back then, it was really about providing great service to, to our publishers and influencers and to our clients. Um, and I don't think any startup or technology business should be a shame of it
1: i think customer service for many businesses is the distinguishing factor it's not their ip it's not their name it's it's how they treat their customers that decides their you know their fate and their success so no apologies on being <laughs> a great service company uh, so you're a solo founder so how how do you handle overseeing everything from sales to engineering to people's perception that no one goes it alone and being a solo founder means, you know, there's clearly some kind of an issue there. How do you handle everything?
0: Um, I think... I'm, I'm a big fan of self-education, and I learn every day, whether it's from books or, or online or uh, reading, because I realized there's so much. I wasn't born a CEO. I, I come from a creative background. I spent 15 years of my life studying art. <laughs> it was probably the opposite of what most, most founders are, are um, you know, studying. Um, so you learn every day, and you try your best to get to the point when you can afford to hire people who are way better than you. And then you just become their cheerleader, which is the best job in the world. Um, After six years in business, I'm happy to say that I outsource most of my tasks and I have an amazing team in place who can basically run the business. And and, and now the challenge is just how to keep them motivated and inspired, which requires a whole other skill (laughs) set, which I'm learning now. Um, But it's really a great point to be at. So any uh,
1: delegation tips that you can share for other, I want to say, solo founders?
0: Because sometimes Uh, it's hard to let go. Exactly. Delegation tips. I think um, you really have to give people a chance. I think what happens a lot when you try to delegate, no no one is going to do it probably as good as you do. And I started from, um, you know, one woman show and I was doing everything from bookkeeping to sales to just name it. And it was really hard to slowly delegate each of those responsibilities to other people who might have not—they're great people, but they don't have the same passion— um, to for this company the way I do because this is like my child. This is everything. I put uh, every piece it's 401-K. of saving. Your four hundred one k. My four hundred one k. This is really, you know, one shot. So you can't expect from other people. So you slowly learn that you know you need to give them a chance. and You need to empower them and forget the word uh, perfection which was really kind of like my mantra for years. And I wish I didn't waste years on perfecting things.
1: (laughs) Oh, I know that feeling. What was the first hire you made?
0: First hire I made... um, Probably was an account manager because at some point I realized I should not be talking to clients. <laughs> there should be another person, <laughs> and not the founder of the company that um, is is running our our campaign. So it was a great decision. Yeah,
1: you know, that that's that's funny. I often think it yeah, sales and account management is is a very unique skill set, and finding someone who is particularly strong at that is, you know, a good hire when you can you can nab them. So. In terms of your background, as you've said, Art, so how did, I want to say, you know, product development, what was your knowledge? How did you become an expert? How did you learn to manage that? Because that's a whole new world in terms of developing, you know, a platform uh, and a technology platform.
0: Definitely. And I have to admit, I learned the hard way the importance of diagrams and product specs, Uh, When communicating with engineers, uh, as well as the importance of presenting and building a roadmap for your product and making sure how um, each feature fits into it, because, you know, it might affect future abilities to develop. And those are definitely mistakes. I feel like there's no, as a a first-time founder, you learn no matter how prepared you are. But um, luckily, besides my art education, I also spent years working for um, a startup that I mentioned Um, as um, a web and product um, um, uh, designer and as well as um, later on in um, advertising network, um, kind of like learning the ins and outs of the online advertising space. So I really, I, I was probably more prepared for this role than other completely non-technical founders. I knew, I even took um, coding classes back in college. So um, I knew a little bit of everything, basically, when I started my business. And I think that's what saved me in and, and the early days is that ability to know a little bit about everything and be able to quickly design our first website and, and it would develop our marketing materials and do a quick probe. A uh, product uh, roadmap. And yes, it might not have been perfect as uh, if an expert, a true expert would do it, but it was good enough to launch a company. Um, but and,
1: and, and enough to know the right questions to ask or to speak the language of technology so that, you know, it's not just kind of yin and yang trying to get, you know, exactly. done what you wanted to get done. Now, when you launched, you were like first to market, but... You know, there's competition now. Can you just talk about that a little bit your your attitude to having these other people saying, "Hey, I'll have what some I'll have some of that market that she has."
0: Oh gosh. Um, you know, it changed dramatically over years. I remember at the very beginning, I was stressing out so much. I would lose sleep over competition. Um, I just felt like it was me against the world. <laughs> And one of us is gonna win. <laughs> Game <laughs> of I get it. I get it. <laughs> exactly. And you know, slowly as you grow, first of all, you gain that confidence. You get paying clients, and you realize, okay, I'm doing something right, and they're choosing me over my competition. And I know they had the opportunity to go to anyone else. So that really creates that level of confidence that you know I wish I had it naturally, but I I didn't. So it was kind of like a, a building that confidence over years, and two is really growing as a as a founder, as a leader, and realizing that you have unique abilities that no one else has. Each of us have that unique DNA. And I know it might sound cliche, but it's so true. I know no one can do my business exactly the way I run it. No one can have exactly the same ideas as I have. They get inspired and people constantly get inspired by my business. And you know, on these days, I realize it's flattering because the bigger the the market is, and that's the truth, uh, the more money we all make. Because at the beginning, as much as I, I was proud by the fact that I was first market and I was alone for a while, but it was lonely. There, there was no money. You know, like when you would go to investors, they would not see an opportunity there because there was not many other companies doing that. So it was kind of disadvantage as well. So now all those other people contributing to the growth of my industry. So it's a great thing. So
1: imitation, you know, is the greatest form of flattery, and misery loves company. And you know, you're living <laughs> living example of that. Um, is there a single decision that you've made that's contributed to your
0: success? I think just continue pushing forward at any cost, and I know it sounds crazy and and risky. And I'm obviously, um, you know privileged to be in the position that you know I don't have a family to support and um, you know so I was able um, to build my business kind of like early on in my um, 30s when um, I, I was able to do it but really um, continue pushing forward any cost and, and take um, many personal risks and, and just believing in myself that somehow it, it, it's all going to work out <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm going to say I I hear you. So is there a moment is there a moment that you kind of looked at failure and and looked failure in the face and and thought it was a real prospect and how did you handle that?
0: You know what? I hate the word failure. <laughs> it's just I try to like really get it out of my lexicon. I mean, to me it's all experiences, right? And some of are more positive and and some are not. And you know, some require just a step back and maybe um, making a different decision. Business is uh, business. Life is full of those experiences, right? So when you really start dividing them and labeling them as failures, I think it's it's such a troubling <laughs> uh, pattern because it it just uh, you gotta end up um, in that kind of like negative uh, space with yourself. So I really try to have more of kind of like. I would say, philosophical look on business and try to kind of uh, extract myself from the situation and look from above and then see... How does it? Um, what does it teach me? How does it fit into my end goal? Because some of those things, like that, look a huge failure at the moment. You know, when you look at it a year or two back, it was really insignificant. And and I'm not saying I haven't made um, wrong choices during my business career. I obviously did. And but you know what? Now looking back, this this was wonderful. You know, I was learning so many things that you I don't even know where you can learn. Like I I'll give you one example, um, at the very beginning when we were really small, maybe three people company, we decided that you know our, our expansion is going to come from international markets. There's huge opportunities. Uh everyone was talking about Brazil and all those new markets. <laughs> Everything was in the news and we were getting actually calls and emails from uh, some um, uh, influencers and publishers in Brazil. Um, the market is developing, and then, you know, let, let's go after And just seemed like the best idea. Let's just replicate what we're doing here in other countries. And this is going to be uh, that multiply growth. Um, that everyone is looking for you know it turned out to be and we tried one country uh, luckily not for a long time but but we tried it and I realized how much time and effort it's going to take and luckily we we just uh, stepped back pretty quickly and kind of like readjusted and realized really we still have a huge opportunity in, in the U.S. and this is where we really should be focusing our efforts but for a moment it seemed like the best idea. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would say, I would say I, I, good ideas are sometimes in, in the moment, in the eye of the beholder, just, just like, you know, I want to say failure. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking on my own personal experiences and things that someone might have considered a failure was probably, you know, the best decision I made, you know, to end something or not continue something in order to achieve the success, you know, I'm I'm having now. So,
0: I think it's really important to just start start your journey as, as early as possible, because I think a lot of people don't realize how long it takes <laughs> to get to that end point, which I don't think should be um, the goal uh, by any means, but... Um, you know, you read in the news about those companies that, you know, uh, within a year or two that they grow, they have millions of customers, they make their exit. Uh, those are really fairy tales. I think in real a world, what you don't realize that it takes probably, I would say, an average seven to 10 years to, to build a really solid business. Um so the earlier you start, the better. And no matter how difficult or um, how unsure you are about that start, and even if you don't know where you're going, it's totally fine because you really, it's really, um, I find it impossible to start while while you're doing something else and kind of like think that you can build this on the side. You really have to go cold turkey, you have to go all in and see where it leads you because it, you might not even realize where you're going.
1: Sounds like you disagree with some people in the startup community who think people should have side hacks and they can do things, build things on the side. And, you know, when it gets a certain amount of traction, they can jump in and do it full time. Are are you an all or nothing kind of a... I'm
0: I'm an all or nothing, unfortunately. (laughs) Again, it it doesn't work for everyone. Um, It worked for me because I really needed that space in my brain to dedicate 100% to my business. I can't even imagine doing it as, as a side... Uh, job for a while. But, you know, it really depends on the business, right? Um, some of it you, you can maybe do, but I find it it's more of a mental capacity. And when you really, when I, when I uh, look at myself back in the days when when I had uh, a proper job, there was really, you know, most of our jobs are really demanding. I can't even imagine coming back home, you know, and, and start working on another company. Uh, I mean, back in the days, I was creative director at a major agency. I wouldn't even get home until, um, um, you know, 9 o'clock sometimes. So I can't even imagine having that, that time, that mental capacity to really work on your passion uh, the way you should be working on. All right. We're going to get to our Pay It Forward section. I'm going to ask you questions
1: that I ask every one of our guests and uh, looking for your resources and fast answers. What are your primary sources of information?
0: It's really my network that I've built over the years and what they share. LinkedIn News is great.
1: Perfect. How do you discover new information?
0: I really think we live in an age when information actually discovers you. Um, And I found that pieces of news that are really relevant to me just find me somehow. What book are you reading? Recently finished on Emotional Intelligence by Harvard Business Review, and it's really life-changing for any leader.
1: Emotional intelligence is, is key. Do you have any rituals or
0: habits you swear by? Um, You know, every time I'm going through a stressful time, I take um, a kundalini yoga class. And it's like clearing the whiteboard of my mind (laughs) and starting from a clear state. So highly recommend it.
1: I might have to try that one. Who are the entrepreneurs or leaders you follow and admire?
0: Richard Branson, Damon John, and Tim Ferriss.
1: What is the best advice you ever received?
0: Stop fundraising and start building your technology.
1: Okay, that may be my favorite piece of advice ever. Stop <laughs> fundraising, focus on your technology. Love it. Are there any particular myths that you would like to dispel for our listeners?
0: Oh, that running a business gets easier once you get to a certain point, whether it's a first customer or a first million in revenue. Unfortunately, I find that problems become bigger as you grow. However, you, have, you do have more tools to solve them and as well as you learn eventually to accept them as part of the course.
1: What words of advice would you give to our listeners about taking risks and closing the confidence gap?
0: I think my biggest advice would be don't afraid to be different and not fitting the norm. Uh, we read a lot of how-to advice online and uh, about startups and entrepreneurship. And you start thinking that it's the only way to go. And the truth is there's so many ways to get there. So take every advice with a grain of salt, including my own. <laughs> Even when it comes to um, other reputable places, because every rule has exceptions, and I found exceptions are where many opportunities are.
1: And what does think broad mean to you?
0: I think establishing goals that are higher than what you think is achievable by you. And you'll be surprised how much it affects the outcome. In the past couple of years, I've started making uh, forecasts for my business based on past performance and then add some more for what I call unexpected opportunities. So the goal would look way higher than what's reasonable to expect. I add it to my daily to-do list, and I stare at it every day (laughs) as much as possible. And you know what? We were able to double our revenues last year, and we are already on track to do the same this year. So it does work. Well done. Thank
1: you so very much.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening
1: to Broadmic. We welcome your feedback. Find us on Facebook, where you will have show notes and additional references for a deeper dive into today's topic. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Please review our podcast on iTunes, which will help other listeners discover Broadmic and grow the Broadmic community. Broad Mike is produced by Christy Mirabell with editing by John Marshall Media. Our executive producer is Sarah Weinheimer. Think Broad.